As the world begins to emerge from the cave of the 21st century and opens its eyes onto the suffering from centuries of injustice and the bastardization of what it means to be free, the new Nomos podcast is a call. A call for a new beginning. A call for the new men and the new women that yearn to be truly free. A call for us to fulfill our destiny. A call for a new Nomos on the earth. Welcome to the New Nomos Podcast. I'm Abdallah Dutton, inviting you to join me on this journey of discovery to define what the New Nomos is and what we need to get there. In the previous episode, we looked at the Iliad and what we could learn from this great text that was the start of Western civilization and the start of Western culture. Now, Continuing on that theme and that idea that was mentioned of the Homeric spirit or that heroic essence that's portrayed through the song and also how it almost died in the trenches of the First World War, it got me thinking about one of my great heroes and this is a man named Ernst Jünger. Now, this man was a soldier, an officer, a war hero, a philosopher, a poet, a writer and just a force of nature, and a force of nature that lived well into his hundreds. Now, among his many writings is an essay that he wrote in the 1950s called The Waldgang, which translates as The Forest Passage, and it's this essay that I want to explore in greater detail in this episode. It's a manifesto in defense of freedom against the pressure to conform to political manipulation, and I think this is something that is particularly important for us in this time. To explore this text in more detail, I had a conversation with a past teacher of mine, Dr. Ali Azali, the Vice-Chancellor of Dallas College in Cape Town, a college of leadership for young men that I'm very proud to call myself an alumni of. So, without much further ado, I present to you Episode 2, The Waldgang and Calling Things by Their Names. Junger says... At a certain point, they have eliminated certain knowledge. They've convinced us that reality is what is not, and that is at the core of the word kufar. Kufar is to cover up, cover up the truth. What Junger is doing is peeling, take the peel off, and let the thing emerge. And the thing that emerges is something that every man has access to if he wants to, and if he has the will to do it, because it's more and more difficult. And that freedom, that spontaneity is that, is not the fear and the hope of a brain, but is the presence of a heart that gives you that spontaneity, that capacity of being in every event, in every situation. Arzunga was a hero. His experience in war, what it was the Absolutely, a key moment in his life was his experience during the First World War. And in order to survive this literal this storm of steel, this tremendous war of materials, where men were faced with death, with pain, and with elemental forces, with fire, with water, with earth, with air, 
that experience transform him, transform Ernst Junger, that as that experience transform all the, the young men who survive that ordeal. And in order to survive, you had to access deeper layer of being. You can't survive a battle of the psalm by thinking, it's just by being present, but not fearing death that you can survive and emerge, transform from such an experience. So Junger, I think in that experience, had access to the deeper region of his soul. And that re-emerges in the Valganger. The Valganger doesn't fight ideology with ideology. He resists by tapping to the deeper part of his being. We would say his heart. In fact, courage comes from core cordis, from corazon, from heart. That is the, the origin. Courage is uh, from the Middle Ages Latin, and I think it comes from, if I'm not wrong, from Provençal, but obviously it comes from the Latin core, cordis, but courage is in the heart. So it's going beyond the brain and tapping to the real essence of men. Uh, coming back to Storm of Steel, since you mentioned it, which was Ernst Jünger's book, well, Ernst Jünger's journal during the First World War, um, without talking about the actual content of the book and his reflections and what was uh, what these young men experienced in the trenches of the First World War, fighting day in, day out, I just found it amazing that when you get to the end of the book and s almost seeing the destiny that this that Allah chose this man out of all of the hundreds of thousands of men that were being mowed down on the battlefield you know the man that was writing this journal the man that was having these profound insights the man that was this young officer that everybody loved this man that was running straight into the bullets having shrapnel flying past his head and he is one of the men that survived and not only survive but to survive and be awarded the the, the pour le yeah the the pour le mérite i mean he was one of the only junior officers to have been awarded such a medal ever you know and i'm reading this 23 24 the same age as these men that were on the you know the same age as these men that were in the trenches and i'm just thinking wow you know what these men went through what they saw what they experienced you know, and I'm lying here in the comfort of my bed. He survived, and he survived to write that book, and he survived to write all the other books afterwards. It's interesting because he wrote that book because his father was concerned about his condition. That generation who, for four years, suffered and, and was forged in this uh, tremendous war material, they couldn't readapt to the society, and they could never accept the terms of the Treaty of Versailles. They could never accept it. Uh, just to clarify, when you say the terms of the Treaty of Versailles, what were those terms? I mean, without going into too much depth, like just on the surface, what, what do you mean by that? Well, they felt enslaved, yeah, from that, yeah, because German, Germany was not losing the war when they asked for an armistice. And so this generation, we felt betrayed. And we felt betrayed by the enormous imposition that came from the 
Treaty of Versailles, on financial, territorial, etc., etc., human, they felt very offended by that. They felt betrayed. As much as Danunzio felt betrayed uh, in Italy when the, the um, League of Nations refused to grant Fiume to Italy, as it was agreed. So what Danunzio did, it took, he called on uh, the veterans of the special forces, and a thousand people, they marched, and they took Fiume, and they kept it for a year, fighting. And they became pirates. And those were the same men, was the same generation that in Germany started fighting against capitalism. Or from the side of the communist or from the side of the nationalist. I don't want to talk national socialist. But the generation that emerged from the trenches were unable to adapt to a bourgeois society. And they carried with them the seed of a new man. A man that even morphologically, that's what Junger says in the famous Der Arbeiter, the work, is different from a bourgeois. Ernst Junger, Ernst Junger will reach the point of saying better a criminal than a bourgeois. He despised the society that emerged from the French Revolution because he said that a society that emerged from the French Revolution from the enthronement of reason, a society that aimed at protecting men from destiny, from fate. So you have insurance, you have police, you have hospitals, you have a whole infrastructure that look after the bourgeois. The bourgeois becomes like, a, in, like an innocuous pet, almost. It's, and this young man survive this tremendous battlefield, look at this bourgeois with despise. They despise that society that allowed the great bankers and the scum of society to, to reach the, uh, the, the government. So Ernst Junger, he sees a danger in the modern technological society of this automatism. If you see our society the principle of capitalism in education is never to teach the student how to ask questions, but is to give quick answer because the principle is efficiency. And the efficiency stick us closer and closer, almost a sort of symbiosis with the world of machine. And Junger talks about uh, Walganger as the one who escaped with automatism that doesn't become, doesn't accept that metamorphosis of men becoming a, a mesh of machine. So Junger sees his, his meditation is based on an understanding of technique. So Junger says the way for real resistance is the passage to the forest. What does it mean? The forest represents, if you think about ethnography, myth and legend, represent an uncharted territory that contains a secret. The forest is a wild territory. It's a dangerous, wild terrain, but a terrain where you can survive by tapping into your deepest forces. So it's not the man who challenges 
the totalitarian state directly, but is the one who takes a different path. He disappears. And the Valganga doesn't play with, according to their rules, and he doesn't act according to any ideology. The men of Allah never acted by ideology, they acted by calling things by their name. And that applies also to, to Ernst Junger, because according to, us, to him, ideology is a cover-up of reality. Ideology, you select a certain reality and you give a certain, or you read reality only through a certain filter. So it's a view of existence that is already very limited and defined and aimed at proving whatever point one wants to prove in that case. And calling things by the name, it means going beyond all the uh, fantasy of the mind, of reason, of that overthinking. When you talk about calling things by their names, it's making me think of you know all those terms that we see nowadays that actually don't mean anything, but they're kind of so they're pumped so much through the media that like there's a kind of understanding of what it is. But if you actually look at the word itself, things called uh, lexical innovation or something, you know, like breaking news. Like if the news is breaking, can it be fixed? It's like. It, what does it actually i mean we we know when we see breaking news we know that it means this thing's just happened but the actual term itself is the news a breaking it doesn't uh, i don't know anyway the other one that's kind of relevant to our time right now is um social distancing there's just nothing social about being distant being social is coming together as people and being distant is being apart so if you're going to be socially distant it's just an oxymoron it's two opposites stuck next to each other Ernst Junger saw this emergence of reason also in their mass education mass education help to spread and to create a certain view of life and of event, of history. I mean, my personal studying of history and what I learned at school or university, they don't match. Because what I've been given was a version of events that was based on ideology and was forcing reality into certain trail that they wanted. And, and he saw in that this process that call it globalization, this process of automatization emerging with a mass society. The role of the school, of, of the mass schooling, then has been taken by the media. Now the media have taken the place of the school for the education of the masses. And a certain view of life, certain values, a certain, a certain hierarchy of values is presented that is based certainly not on revelation. It's based in this case mostly on capitalism or in the interest of certain elite. Now Junger, the Waldganger, is able to resist all of that, by moving into the forest, by mig migrating into this metaphorical forest. Dante, in the Divine Comedy, starts nel mezzo del cammin di nostra vita, in the middle of the path of our life, mi ritrovai per una selva oscura, I found myself in a dark forest, che la diritta via era smarrita, because the right path was lost. So the forest is also a place where to lose yourself and you find yourself. And by finding yourself, I mean finding your real being, 
your Adamic face that every religion and every real tradition has spoken about. Adamic face. Yeah, the original face, face of Adam. The original face of man, the archetypal, the ur face of man, the perfect man. So you're finding your Adamic face. Yes, because we all share of that gestalt, of that form, from, from Sadin Adam. We're all men and we're part of that gestalt, of that form, by being men. And discovering the Adamic face means finding your real essence that relates to the world of spirits, obviously. So could you say that that's finding your meaning for existence on this planet? Well, that's a consequence, but I'm finding your real self, your real self. We really are. In the sense of underneath all of the baggage of everything you've learned throughout yes. your life, yes. your fears yes. and insecurities. That fitra, it's called fitra. Uh, fitra, okay. That pure fitra. form, that pure form. Uh, and that's what every tradition is telling us. Hmm? As that's where you encounter the truth by encountering yourself. Remember, the Academy of Plato the end, at the entrance was know yourself. A famous hadith. Whoever knows himself knows his Lord. So, on that point, the Waldganger is someone who knows themselves. Yes. The Waldganger is taking the path of the forest. The forest is where you encounter, you lose yourself to encounter yourself, your real self. Not what society, the family, the environment tell, tells you you are, but you encounter what you really are. And that is an encounter with the divine, because you encounter whoever believes it, that there is a part in man that is eternal, and it's called spirit. And by encountering that, we are able to encounter our creator. Uh, that makes me think of Bear Grylls, the British survivalist. He puts himself in these extreme environments that he has to survive, whether it's the jungle or the desert or some kind of ice frozen land or the mountains, etc., etc., and and wherever he goes, he takes with him his little infrared camera. And at night, when he's cold and wet and shivering and just absolutely miserable, he's eaten maybe a grub the whole day or whatever it is. And he'll always talk about how he misses his wife and his children. And then there's always a mention of God and how in those moments of almost like one's greatest discomfort, it's there that you really find your lord or maybe not well yeah find your lord or it is. feel the presence of the divine or 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 remember remember the divine yes yes for the light to come through there must be a crack there must be a crack for the light to come through so the great teachers they take you from your place of comfort and they put you in a situation where you can't rely on anything known to you and so you are forced to rely on Allah, to rely on the one. You are forced by the event. That's what a great teacher does. It puts in such a situation where there's nothing in creation that can come to your help except him. And then, but that's what Ernst Jünger described because they, he experienced that in war, on the battlefield. He experienced that and his brother died next to him. Allow me to mention a Sufi metaphor that says the Sufi is like the earth. You throw rubbish in it 
and roses grows up of it. You know, a capacity of an alchemical transformation of the event, and from what it can seem negative, you are able to see the, the good, you extract the good of it, and that in every aspect of life, you see. Which is having a high opinion of Allah and of his course. creation. Uh, but the point of Junger is, he realized at a certain point, science was put in the place of a divine. Because in the moment you deny the divine in the outward, you deny it in your inward, in your, in your microcosmic, and in your persona. So if you deny God in the outward, you deny the spirit in the inward, and you create a society or create a life that is crippled. Why? Because whatever is at its essence, the essence of man is missing. So it's a wrong image of man. It's like taking the fake man of Rousseau, the rational man, it doesn't exist, it never existed. Man is not rational. And Freud proved it <laughs> completely. That fantasy of enlightenment that man is naturally good has been completely denied by Freud. Because it shows how the underneath. Eh? Man is not rational. Right? Reason is part of man. It's one part. But if you create a model of man and a model of the cosmos, denying the divine, denying the spirit, you're gonna inevitably have the opposite. So you can't claim I'm gonna create a just society, equal society, and then you end up with a gulag in Siberia, 30 degrees below, and no food, and working for the state. Or in Guantanamo, or in Auschwitz, you name it. Or Pol Pot, Cambodia. <laughs> How does one start to embark on the forest passage you know i could go into the forest with a box of matches and a knife and i'm sure after you know i'm gonna have a much better understanding of who i am after four days of of of, of surviving so we're talking about the metaphorical forest how can one really how does one start to how does one begin to take the metaphorical forest passage, you know, like where should we start? First of all, when you are talking, it came to my mind a quote from a poem by Dr. Del Basiro Hembarena that he says that, uh, I, I, I don't remember exactly, I'm just mentioning the meaning, he said, the modern battle of the Thermopolis is fought in the heart of man. Every man is a path. Bektashi, as Bektashi Wale used to say, every man is a path. Why? Because if you believe that man was created with a spirit, with an eternal part, it is called spirit, every man has access to it. So the path, every man is a path in himself. In the moment he takes a step toward the knowledge of himself, so that is the start of the path. And inevitably a man who is willing to understand the truth of himself inevitably won't be so prone to be conditioned by society, will be free. A man who's looking for the truth in himself will look the truth outside and we call things by their name and a tyrant will be called a tyrant and a money lender will be called a money lender, etc., etc. because he has no fear of death. By meeting 
his real self, he has overcome fear of death. That is at the core of all the great spiritual teaching of Islam, of a great teacher from Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jilani, to Sheikh Ahmed Arifai, to Sheikh Adarkaw, with all the great shuyuk, tell us the same thing. Know yourself. Be free. Be f- you can't find happiness only above the phenomenical, phenomenical world. If you want to find real happiness, you must rise above that. There's another concept that Jünger talks about in the Waldgang, and that is that with the growth of the technological state, is the technologification of medicine and pharmaceuticals and that whole world. And I think that that's something that's particularly relevant to our time. So could you explain a little bit about Jünger's position on this? Well, Jünger, as I said, he constantly refers to the center, to a man who is free. A man who is free from the fear of death. It's very mystical in a sense. And he says, health and well-being is with the fearless. So he relates sickness and disease to fear. The fear of death. And that is, we can define it as part of a biopolitical process, that interference of the state in the lives of the citizen through medical practices and technology that now has become so oppressive for all of us, has become our reality in the last year, year and a half. And, uh, And there is a correlation between fear and health. So Junger sees that Health as a choice, but health is based on the, the knowledge of life. So living according to the real laws of life will lead you to health. And again, the Valganger, by refusing all this, all these rhetorics, by refusing all that ideology, and going back to the sources, to the elemental sources in man, forces in man, acquires health. He's free from the, the, the dictates of the, biopoli- of the biopolitical processes. It's interesting because I remember being told that Ernst Jünger, while he was in the trenches of the First World War, he saw that as many of his compatriots that were dying in no man's land on the battlefield being shot and blown up, etc., as many men were dying from just the disease and the, the putrid environment with rats and wounds and damp and all of the, the, the unhygienic environment that it was. I remember being told that he, in that moment, he chose health. And in choosing health, he didn't succumb to these diseases and he didn't succumb to the putrid environment. And yeah, and, and, and just that it, it amazed me that you can choose health. And actually, at the beginning of this year, I got coronavirus. And there was a point where I was lying in bed and I started to struggle to breathe. 
and at that point then suddenly you start you know the reels start playing in your head of all of the all of the images you're seeing on the television and the um the more you the the more the, these images play in your head the more you get scared you know and as one's going through this reel of images all of this fear that's being pumped in the media and in the news you know i realized my chest started to get even tighter and then you start to have a panic attack and then your airwaves start tightening and then it becomes even harder to breathe and it was quite a profound experience when i realized that was this the disease itself or was it some other physiological response to it and i mean that was me in uh, relatively comfortable in bed you know what about people who are older than me and people with underlying conditions that rush straight into hospital and you're surrounded by people in the same condition and doctors in masks and hazmat suits and it's just fear on fear on fear i mean it's 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 just petrifying fear fear petrifies fear paralyzes paralysis come out of fear even if you fight you fight if you if you are scared you get rigid you paralyze rigidity is death flexibility a child can fall and they never break we are completely flexible actually the, the the physiological age of the body is defined by its stiffness a very stiff body is old um but as i said everything in Ernst Jung in the question of health relates to a full understanding of man and a spirit with his spiritual reality hidden reality and outward reality and then that is the key for every situation because a man who can have access to the divine in himself as a free man is free from whatever as the capitalistic system trying to impose on him it follows his own rule he follows his direction and yes what room is say what is love love is renunciation of will as the capacity of trusting the divine trusting destiny but if you grow up if you are raised in a society where they tell you there is no destiny there is chance everything has been has, has been born by a casual encounters of atoms there is it means that anything is questionable anything is open to debate there's nothing fixed and clear and everything there is not reality everything is in continuous is liquid everything is constantly moving and and man is lost in this jungle in this wild sea in this rough sea lost with no protection a man like that go through life in fear and will die in fear a man who has access to the divine and believes that there is a higher power goes through life trust in a trust trusting way or tawakkul of, of a sufi but capacity of knowing jumping in the dark because you know a hand is going to pick you up you see because everything is 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 defined by measure by weight by someone above us and that gives you tremendous freedom tremendous courage 
It sounds simple, but that's what Jung is telling us. Jung brings as, as an example David and Goliath. This little man, the giant Goliath, is killed by this young man. This young man puts his trust in God and faces the, the monster, the giant, and he kills him. The other one is uh, John Dark, exactly. Again, he is divinely inspired. This young virgin in a tremendous France of the late Middle Ages that manages to save the king, save the dolphin, gather all the, the lords and free France from the British. And that is Willem Tell. Willem Tell, that's another example of a war of independence in Switzerland. So every example has a relation not to ideology but to spirituality. And I know it's, it's, it's an abused word, call it ruh, call it as you like, but there is an, an eternal part that the Western education as the Western science, the development of Western science has been denying. Why? Because you cannot measure it. You cannot, you take, cannot take picture of it. It's nowhere and it's everywhere at the same time. But, but science cannot measure it. It can't be measured. So, so it doesn't exist according to the criteria of our society. And Junger goes back to that. To a man in its full form, what the great Sufi would call the insanul kamil, the perfect man. A man who is perfect, is fulfill all his possibilities, inwardly and outwardly. While a man with society doesn't know he doesn't have a spirit. Or if you think spirit is just an abused word that he heard many times, it means nothing. It maybe it brings some idea of ethics or morality, something absolutely unrelated to what we're talking about. And that's what Ernst Junger is calling on. And so that is the ancient man. You gave those three examples, David and Goliath, Joan of Arc and William Tull. What I particularly liked about those was that Jung is saying you don't have to be a prince. You, you don't have to have inherited it genetically or been born into it. As a human being, as a divine entity or an entity that has access to the divine, you have the possibility to be heroic, to be a Waldgang. Exactly, exactly. So every man is a path. Every man has a path because we are without the spirit. There's no man. And Junger, when he talks about the Gestalt, the form, he obviously refers to the ur form of Goethe, the original form. That is not, as I say, always a platonic idea. It's an essence that includes the whole cycle of existence and is the essence of the thing. So the essence of man is the spirit. That is the essence. But the society denied. So the Valganga doesn't follow the call of a, of a sirens, of a mermaid, of a capitalistic society, but it follows a much deeper, much ancient call that is in himself. And the metaphor of it is the forest, as a forest is that place. And then at that point, where he is free and in direct connection with the divine, then he is capable of resisting anything. Whatever is in front of him is going to act accordingly. It's what gives you the strength to resist. It's like a boulder in, in a, rough, a rough sea, you see. And there are people are going to stuck form around him, gather people around them. You know, they always have a function in history. You know, since this is in search of a hero, 
the one that reaches that station, like that that rank of Waldganger, is heroic, and we need we need in our time in this technological world we need Waldgangers and we need lots of Waldgangers to come together. Look, every if you look in history, every poem that implies a journey, a journey of return, is always a metaphor of something else. Take the take the Odyssey, or take the Iliad, or take the Enid. But the Odyssey is very clear. The Odyssey, he returns to Ithaca. He returns to Ithaca to go through all these tremendous tests to go back to his house. He has to kill the pretenders to get his wife. And remember that the metaphor of love is always a metaphor of encounter with yourself. The, the always the, this encounter with a deeper self has always been represented as the encounter of uh, the knights and his lady. Is uh, a marriage, the divine marriage, is an encounter with, with the temporary self and the eternal self when they meet. And there is a metaphor: right? marrying yourself. What does it mean? Marrying your real self, not that image that is the byproduct of events of who we are. Because in the end, there is one actor, and, and, and Junger starts with that understanding. Another important author that we must mention, talking about Junger, is Nietzsche. And in my opinion, Friedrich Nietzsche could have been a mystic. In fact, the great uh, Pakistani poet, uh, Iqbal, in his cosmic poem uh, that is based on the mirage of the Prophet and is based on the divine comedy and all that literature in Persia that describes this uh, overworldly traveling. And his guide, is the, while in the divine comedy, the guide for Dante is Virgil, for, for Iqbal, is Mevlana Rumi. And, uh, and the poem is this going through all these heavens. And then he reaches a high heavens. The narrating voice asks the guide, who is that man in a corner keeps laughing and pronouncing this and shouting this name alone? And, and, and the guide, supposed to Mevlana Rumi, tells him, that man was a European philosopher. And the string of his heart vibrated so strong that, that the vessel broke. He should have had, he should have met a man like, uh, he mentioned the great Naqshbandi Sheikh Mujaddidi, Sheikh Mujaddid, um, Sheikh Im Sirint, and that he would have taken that him, that aspiration, and wouldn't turn it into a great success. So, even, the main inspiration of Junger, what we can say is Nietzsche. We can't find in Nietzsche a mystical element. And, and Allama Iqbal, that was very well versed in the Western philosophy and poetry, he met Mussolini. I, he wrote two poems dedicated to Mussolini, by the way. But uh, he would read Nietzsche in the perspective of, of, of Mutasaufin. So he would see in Nietzsche him, him for, 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 for annihilation in the divine. 
So I think that Jung can be understood taking into consideration this aspect. That he mentioned, by the way, he mentions that in, in his work. One very interesting work, it's one of my favorite novels by him, is The Adventurer's Heart, that is a surrealistic, surrealistic novel, when he breaks the consistency of reality and to, to, to paralyze the, the reason, the brain, and let something emerge, almost like a Japanese Aiko, whose purpose is to break, to stop the working of a, of a, of a reason and let something deeper emerge. And in fact, Ernst Junger told his secretary, Armin Moller, to write about a very interesting event. Around 1934, 1935, Filippo Tommaso Marinetti, the founder of Futurism, went in an official visit for the fascist government to, uh, to Germany. And he met, uh, he went to the circle of National Socialist Writer. The president was not there, there was a vice president who was present. There was a famous poet, Gottfried Benn, who was a close friend of Ernst Junger, he was a doctor. And Gottfried Benn gave his, gave his speech to receive uh, Marinetti, a speech that he paid dearly because the National Socialist higher hierarchy never forgave him that. And, and he said, while communism is based on a thinking, an ideology. You can find books. You have Das Kapital by Marx and Hegel, etc., etc. There's a vast, you can fill many libraries with books on, on, on communism. You have nothing like that, like fascism. Can you mention one book that represents fascism? Because he said, because fascism is a style. Now, the style, in the sense of a black shirt, youth, courage, the spice of death, you're not taking risk willingly, because the style speaks to a deeper being. And ideology speaks to reason. You read about economic theory, you can, if you do this, you're going to have that. You can create utopian projects, but the style is something you look and speaks to you, and speaks to you something deeper than your brain. So it's nothing to do now with fascism or communism, but it's interesting that Junger told the secretary to write a book on that event. Because style is something deeper. Those generation were thinking by style, were attracted by something that would talk to the deeper being. And we talk about life, death, risk, what young man wants. You see, previous society, traditional society, young men and young women, when they become adult, when they become, they had to go through an initiation to prove their virility or to prove their femininity. Well, for women, it was different. But, but it, the society would offer to the young man the opportunity to prove himself as a man. In this society, and that's what Junger looked for. Junger, remember, at 14 years old, he ran away from home to join the French Foreign Legion. He went to Tunisia, then he went to, in Algeria, then he went to Morocco. And his father had to bribe some officer in France. Then it cost him 1,000 Deutsche Mark to get him back. But then, as soon, 1914, as soon as the First World War started, he went as a volunteer. He was 18 and, and, and he fought all over. So he looked for that experience to prove his virility, his masculinity, to know himself. 
to know himself how in danger. So that was the case for the, the teenage Ernst Jünger in 1914, at the outbreak of the First World War. But in 2021, for anyone that's listening to this, what, what can somebody who is listening to this, what can we do now to help us move towards being a Waldganger and move towards being more heroic? Know yourself. Yeah, but that's a bit abstract. It's not abstract. Find a way to know yourself, your real self. I based my life on that. I, I left my home, I left my country looking for myself, and I'm still looking. I am still looking. I look for a man who knows himself, and I follow that man, and I, and I look for his teaching. There's a lot to be done. And it's not a question of quantity, quality. Remember, every great event in history has been has been started, initiated by small elite, never by the masses. The masses follow. A few free men can transform a country. And that's an ayah in the Quran. It is in the Quran, exactly. How many a small force has overcome a greater one by the will of Allah? Exactly. Know yourself. And by when I say know yourself, know your Lord. You know who knows himself, knows his Lord. That's the first, that's the foundation. That's the foundation for freedom. In the Quran it said that Allah doesn't change the people unless we change their heart. Change your heart. Your, your condition is going to change. And that doesn't mean to become petit bourgeois, do a dicker on a Friday night or Saturday. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with that. It's setting proper priorities and find the meaning for your life, a meaning to struggle for. Something that you will, you have to keep on despite obstacles and trials. That's going to make you men. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I highly recommend reading The Waldgang. It's under 100 pages and it will really put a lot of what was discussed in this episode into much better perspective. The main takeaway has to be that this journey into the metaphorical forest, this journey towards freedom, this journey towards the heroic, has to start with an intention, and an intention to find yourself and to know yourself, and then calling things by their names. Dare I say, it sounds quite easy. So that leads me nicely into next week's episode, where I explore how we can get to know our true selves in a bit more detail. Thank you. <laughs>